men continue to pass the trays this morning. I'd just like to share a little uh, story with you I heard this week. It's about a, uh, a lawyer, a doctor, and a preacher who all went deer hunting together. And they're out in the woods, and uh, they decide instead of splitting up that they would just stay together, that in case they saw a deer come by their way, they'd just stay in the blind together. That way they could all take a shot at one time and see who would hit it. So they have a, you know, a better chance of making sure that they walk away with the deer uh, as they leave the woods. And so after several hours, and as dawn was getting ready to break, they thought that they were going to have to leave after seeing nothing. Here comes this, this huge buck, and he walks by. And all of them raised their guns, and one of them goes, one, two, and on three, they pulled the trigger, and all three of them shot the deer. And the deer went down instantly. No problems. He didn't try to run away like they usually do, have a little bit of courage and energy left in him. He just dropped right to the ground. And all three of them got out of the blind real excited, and they ran up to the deer, and they looked at it, and they thought, well, well who actually killed it? You know, they want to know. Who actually killed it? And they were wondering if there was a way to find out about it. And so they turned to the doctor and looked at the doctor and said, do you think you could figure out which one of us shot this deer? And he said, I, I think I probably can if I, if I look hard enough and try hard enough. And he started looking around the deer. He started from the back and then he worked to the front. And as soon as he got to the head, he said, I know exactly who did it. I should have started here first. And they were like, well, well who did it? He said it was the preacher. They looked at him and said, how do you know that he did it? And the preacher said, how do you know that I did it? He said, well, easy. The bullet went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I hope God's Word doesn't run in one ear and out the other this morning. Oh, my. I pray, as I always do, that God's Word will have wonderful power as it has since we uh, first received it as mankind and as, as God continued to add to it all the way through the time of the apostles and now collectively as it is sealed together for almost 2,000 years, uh, we are still receiving great blessings from it. Amen? And we are looking forward to another blessing this morning from it. I know I am. So let us ask God's power to be in it. That way it might be a blessing unto us. Shall we pray? Uh, Father, thank you so much for all of your many blessings, but none more than Jesus. We thank you that he came and gave his life and died so that we might be free, that we might be able to experience the fullness of your love, both in forgiven sins, but also in a way in which we are sealed through et for eternity and given eternity, granted through the, the sacrifice of Jesus, but the resurrection of the tomb that, that makes it possible for us to stand in, in the fullness of you, O God, forever, that we might be able to experience your wonderful love on full display, Lord, for all of us who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, that we might experience that fullness of love forever. Oh, we are so thankful. We just thank you that, that you have, have given us an opportunity to be restored and renewed through Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask in this moment that you would just forgive us of our sins and our shortcomings that you would just touch us, Lord, in such a way that we are reminded that your grace is sufficient for us. That this morning there may be nothing standing in the way of us being able to hear your word proclaimed. That there be nothing standing in the way of your word going forth to us today. That you would just touch us, Lord, in such a way that we might know as we walk out of here how it is that we might be comforted, but Lord, how it is also that we might be convicted. So that we, live, we might live more pleasing lives to you, more faithful lives to you, 
And Lord, lives that people see and want to know what the change is that, that made us new. That gives us peace, that passes all understanding, joy, that renews itself every morning. Lord, thank you for Jesus and help us to display him accurately in our lives as, as much as we possibly can. Lord, we know that this help can come by your word. So use it to speak to us today. Father, in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. I would like to begin uh, the sermon this morning, as I have in weeks uh, prior, by quoting together Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I can barely hear you all. I said we were going to do this together. All right, you ready? All right, here we go. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Church, may this be our mission, and may this also be our prayer. May we also commit this call to memory that we may be ever reminded to go to those who have not heard the gospel. For Jesus said, when we do this for His name's sake, we will, He will be with us undoubtedly to the very end of the age. But again, this is a promise that is conditional upon our willingness to make disciples of all nations. So again, together, may we quote Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' promise to be with us always until the end of the age is conditional upon our desire and willingness to make disciples for Him. So church, may we commit to make disciples this way of the Great Commission, the way that Jesus has instructed both corporately in our times where we are gathered together with the whole church, but also individually in the times where God calls us to speak for Him just where we are. I uh, always love when a new sermon series begins. I'm always very sad when it ends. And so as we bring this series to the ends of the earth to a close... Not only do I hope, but I implore you to remember that these words of Jesus that we have quoted together is a command to not only go to specific geographical places of Jerusalem, Judea, Judea Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. No, these places represent more than just a single dot on a map. These places have a greater heavenly significance behind these earthly locations that Jesus said to go to. To remind us of these places and what they mean, we first saw how Jerusalem is representative of our ministering in our own hometown, our original starting place. Second, we saw how Judea represents the day that we left the comfort of home in our non-committal faith in pursuit of God's greater will for our life to make disciples by our own initiative with His help. 
Then we saw how Samaria is representative of God's answer to our complacency when we have become settled in our service to Him where we are. This is the place where He starts to shake things up. Things begin to change, and there may be a little sorrow, there may be a little pain, but God is using us as He did the early disciples and the early Christians, shaking us up, maybe through way of persecution, maybe through way of hardship. He might just choose to move you in such a way that His gospel might spread as you go somewhere else. And finally, we saw the significance of Jesus' command to go to the ends of the earth through the lens of of the harvest field. Brother Bob Molden last week from CICM did an absolutely wonderful job in teaching us what it meant to go to the ends of the earth. Listen again to this key verse in John chapter 4. It says, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Open your eyes and look at the fields for they are ripe for harvest. Everywhere you look, there is a harvest field. There's not just a harvest field outside of these walls. There's a harvest field inside this congregation for people who have not yet accepted Christ and people who may be suffering and hurting. We like to act like we have everything all together sometimes, don't we? But the truth of the matter is we're liars if we say that we do. In fact, the Bible tells us that if we say that we are without sin, we don't make God out to be a liar. In the book of 1 John, chapter 1, he says, No, we make ourselves out to be a liar. Each of us has struggles in life that we are dealing with. There are mission fields within our own homes. There are mission fields within our own families, within our own workplaces. We don't have to look too far, though we can look to the ends of the earth and see that there is a harvest out there in places like India that we heard of last week, in places like Cambodia, in China, in Asian countries, in Russia, in Europe. There are so many places that there are harvest fields. But we really don't have to look that far to find one. Not just in our own backyard, but maybe in our own front yard too. You see, though these words of Jesus, these words where He says, I tell you, open your eyes and and look at the harvest field. They, They are ripe for the harvest. These words of Jesus, though they were spoken 2,000 years ago, they are just as true now as they ever were then, and they're just as true as they will ever be until He comes back to receive His church. They are just as true today as we continue to work and wait for the fruition of Jesus' words to come to pass, these wonderful words, this again, another calling to go into the world, and this gospel, Jesus said, of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Listen to that verse one more time. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then, and only then, the end will come until the whole world has heard the name of Jesus Christ as there are people who continue to go out and translate the Scriptures into their own languages of people who have not heard them, for people who don't know the name of Jesus and don't know who He is until we have gone everywhere, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ, He will not come again. So if we want to say, come Lord Jesus, quickly come as the writer of Revelation did, we've got to get busy. 
And we have got to help and do our part here and abroad, whatever God calls us to, to take His Word so that the end will come. I know it's coming, church, and I feel it. But I want to tell you something. My grandma felt that the Lord was going to come back in her age. Do you know something? Her mother felt like the Lord was going to come back in her age. People before them. How many of you all can remember way back your grandparents saying that I believe the Lord's going to come back in my lifetime? How many lifetimes has it been since they said that? It's been a while, hasn't it? I think God continues to put a sense of urgency around us and around our world because He doesn't want us to forsake for a moment that the gospel is good no matter when it is. No matter if it was hundreds and thousands of years before we come or right up to the last second, God's Word needs to be preached and proclaimed. As much as we have been blessed, church, there are still others who are waiting on this great blessing that we have received. The fields are ripe for the harvest. They are ready. But Jesus said the laborers are what? Few. He didn't say they were many. He said they were few. We don't need anybody dying on the vine. We don't need anybody waiting to be picked for Jesus Christ because we didn't go. Jesus called us to go until the end of the earth. Until the time that Christ comes again, God will never cease to call workers to labor in His vineyard. And the ones He called and that He calls are to be qualified in a specific way, but not the way that we may think. I want to look at God's qualification for workers in His fields. This morning, I want to look at the qualification of, of someone who has not only been redeemed, but somebody who labors for the Lord. So if you would, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, if you've got your Bible, if you'd like to look, it'll be on the screen for you this morning. It is also in your bulletin as well. Lots of different ways to put the Scripture in our hands this morning. I ask good brother William if he'll... Follow along with me. Isaiah, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling back to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, 
and who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. When I was in youth group, which is why I'm such a big proponent of youth group, I knew the Lord, but those wonderful youth leaders helped develop me and uh, helped prepare for my call to ministry. Something I'll never forget is we went on our very first mission trip, and so we wouldn't get lost. They got us orange T-shirts. There was 45 kids, students, between the ages of, of sixth grade to high school who went on this trip together. So just imagine that many students running around in an airport. Now, we behaved ourselves pretty well, but you need a pretty good tracking system. And there's nothing better than blaze orange, right? I mean, if you can see it in the woods, you can see it in an airport. And these blaze orange shirts that we wore not only indicated who we were, but they also indicated who we were going with and who we were going for. I didn't realize then the significance of these words that were on this shirt, but I do now. The shirt said, here I am, Lord, send me. Mountain View Youth Group. I didn't realize the significance then, but I realize it now. These powerful words, here I am, Lord, send me. You see, this passage that we have read together begins with a contrast. It shows us the death of King Uzziah, and it also shows us the Lord God seated on His throne. This contrast. King Uzziah, the Lord God Almighty. Inasmuch as the changing of a president in our country has the potential to change the direction of our nation, the same can be said of the concept of what it meant for a passing of a king in Israel, and even more so, in fact, because the king held within their hands the ability to either lead the nation in a way that is pleasing and honorable to God, or they had the ability to lead the people of Israel down an eventual path of destruction, whether they were considered a good king or a bad king. Good being following God, bad is the path of destruction. They held this potential within their hands, within their direction, within their very being. But you see, what makes the difference, all the difference, for Isaiah's Israel and its kings, and our America, and as our president and leaders, are these words. These words make all the difference. I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on His throne. It does not matter the person who rules a country. It matters most that God is still on His throne. I want to tell us that one more time because sometimes we get caught up a little too much in the politics going on around us. It does not matter the person who rules a country. No, it matters most that God is still on His throne. 
Despite the national direction of a people, as long as the world goes round, it will never change the fact that God is still God, and He is not going to change His mind toward people, no matter who the leader is. He's not going to change His mind in that He is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's wonderful when we have Christian leaders, but this call is not going to change. It's wonderful when leaders honor the Lord God, and that is something we should greatly strive for. Do not let me diminish that importance. But what is more important, despite who gets into office, whether we agree with them or not, or whether we like them or not, no matter what superpower, world power, no matter what person is sitting in the UN office who is directing our affairs, it does not matter who it is. What matters is that God is still on the throne, and He is still calling sinners to repentance. He does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but for all to find everlasting life through Jesus Christ. Amen? It can get bad in our nation. It can get bad in our world. But it'll get worse when we stop calling on God in our lives. Church, we cannot stop calling on the Lord God. We cannot stop coming to Him. We cannot let the state of affairs around us get us so to the point to where we are saddened that we don't trust God with our direction. Because as Jesus came, not to overthrow the powers of this world in a governmental sense, He came to overthrow the greater powers of sin and death. Those things that keep us bound, not just now, but forever. Mankind can do a lot to harm you, but if your soul is in Jesus Christ, if you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, as Paul says, nobody can touch you in eternity. Amen? Not a single person and not a single soul can touch you in eternity. We may suffer here and now. Times are going to get tough if you, want, if you believe what the Bible says and see the unfolding of the book of Revelation. I don't know if we're living in the last of the last of the last days, but I can tell you that as we get closer every single day, it will get worse. That's what the Bible tells us. But we can still have great joy in serving Jesus Christ. Paul said, I, I wonder and I thank God And I revel in my sufferings, because for when I am weak, then I am strong. We see God more clearly in times of suffering than we do in success. And that is exactly why Isaiah writes these words. He was saddened in his time over the death of a good king because he didn't know if his son was going to honor God or not. But what he knew is that even though Uzziah was dead, God is still on the throne. Church, it all stays good when we got God. It may get hard, but His promise is to never leave us nor forsake us. And it's in those times He teaches us how to walk more closely with Him. If you look back in your life, when can you say you were closest to God? When you were standing on top of the mountain or when you were crying out for Him in the valley? I can say that I didn't enjoy all the suffering I went through but it is, and have gone through and will still go through, but I can tell you this, I am closer to God today because of those things. And I am thankful looking back that God not only led me through those with Him, but that He kept me through them. Church, we have to be thankful for God's leading despite whatever it may be. We cannot let something as great as a president shift, a king shift, a world power shift, get us down. We have to keep trusting and knowing that despite what mankind does, God doesn't care. Because He's got a will. And He encourages us to get on board with it. 
And if people go their own way, he's just going to let them go. Because he wants people who truly worship and follow him. He cares and wants us to follow after him. And he begs us even. But he's not going to stop anybody from doing what they want. But he is still, through that all, still on the throne. He still does not want anyone to perish, but that everyone would find eternal life. The fields will always be white for harvest, no matter what is taking place, no matter who is in charge. And because of that, people still need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they need to hear it more and more every day as the Lord's return draws nigh. But you see, in a day and age of uncertainty, Isaiah was called to speak to the people of Israel, God's people. And he was also called to speak to the nations on the Lord's behalf because of one qualification. There was one qualification in his life that caused him to be called by God. But before we could see that qualification, Isaiah had to show us his hang-up. Before, what, before we could see what God used to qualify him in his sight, we have to first see what Isaiah's hang-up is. And I need to ask us this morning, how many of us have experienced or do experience hang-ups in our life? Now, you don't have to raise your hands. You don't even have to say amen. But remember, God knows the truth, and you do too. We might put on a good face in front of everybody else, but God knows what's done out in the open, and He also knows what's done in secret. We all have hang-ups. We all have something in our life that causes us to be uh, cast with a shadow of doubt over all of us, to be cast with times of uncertainty. Maybe it's a particular struggle. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's something about us, a particular way about us that does not bring honor and glory to God. We all have hang-ups. In Isaiah's case, he told the Lord right in front of his very presence that he is ruined. For he is a man of unclean lips, and he lives among a people of unclean lips. This is Isaiah's sin in his eyes and in his mind. This is what he is standing before God. This is the one thing he knows that is keeping him from fully being able to experience and enjoy the presence of God was being a man of unclean lips and also being around a people of unclean lips. The long and short of it is Isaiah had a potty mouth. And he spent a lot of time around other people who did as well. I would say he was like Ralphie from A Christmas Story, but sadly he was much worse than that. You know, Ralphie had just a little one and done there, but Isaiah seems to have a constant and consistent problem. Church, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but what defines us is whether we hang on to that sin willfully or if we're willfully willing to let it go. That is the difference between being in sin and struggling with sin. Is I want to let it go and I slip and fall short, but yet also using it as a crutch and hanging on to it more tightly than we hang on to God. And Isaiah's problem in this instance was just his terrible potty mouth. And again, not only did he have an issue with it himself, but he spent much time with other people who were the same. These people were not encouraging him to be more like God. They were encouraging him by their ways to continue in the way that he was. And in this, 
the Scriptures are again proven true, that if you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. And if you associate with fools, you'll get in trouble. That's the New Living Translation. I like that. You know, that's, that's uh, a different way to put it, but it is, it is the truth. In fact, the Scriptures say that it will lead to your demise. So trouble is actually putting it mildly. That if we walk with the wise, we'll become wise. And if we associate with fools, then we're going to get in trouble. This was Isaiah's reality when he stood before God. And before standing, or excuse me, when standing before God and knowing this about himself, Isaiah felt like he was totally disqualified to even be there. To even be in this holy of holies around the angels and around God, around those who are crying out, holy, 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 it's the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. He was uncomfortable even being there because he felt totally disqualified to stand before God. But yet this is what qualified him. Was his knowledge of who he was as a sinner, but his willingness before God to be cleansed. Whenever we encounter the Holy God Church, we must see who He is, as Isaiah did. Recognize who we are and seek to be cleansed. You see, the first of His willingness That's what qualified him was his willingness. And he was willing before God in in two essential ways that are the same two ways that God qualifies us today. The first was his willingness to admit his sinfulness and again be purified. The Scriptures say that one of the angels flew over to Isaiah and touched his tongue with a coal from the altar. It is from this same altar that this angel got this coal It's the same altar where the sacrifices were made to God on behalf of the people for the forgiveness of their sins. For Isaiah, this is the lesson we must take from this. For Isaiah, the fire of the altar still burned to atone for his sin. And for us today, the blood of our Savior still flows from Calvary's hill to atone us of our sins. The fire is still burning hot, church, and it ain't going to die out until the day when Christ comes back and He puts that fire out forever, we can still find the forgiveness of sins. We can still be atoned of our unrighteousness if only we will allow God to do so in our lives. I know this is still true today because of this passage in Hebrews chapter 4 that I just absolutely dearly love. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize for our weakness, But we have one who was tempted in every way that we are, yet he was without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace, the same throne that Isaiah was standing before. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isaiah experienced this church, but we can still experience it today. Each and every single one of us can walk to the mercy seat of God and be cleansed again for the sinfulness that is found within our lives. And any time we see God, just as Isaiah, any time we hear His Word, any time we remember the ways of God, 
Any time we recall His words to us to be holy, because I am holy, we should repent. We should repent. Any time we think of God. Any time a bit of worship goes on within our hearts because His great name, Yahweh, His ways cross our minds, we need to repent so that His mission may not be stifled in us to renew our hearts and minds as well as to help others find the renewing of their hearts and minds as we go into all the world to the ends of the earth. Church, we must be willing to repent that we might be used by God just as Isaiah. And, and that was his second willingness before God. It was to be used by God how God saw fit. He was willing to repent and confess his sins before God. And because he stands clean before God, now he is a servant of God. He was willing to be used by God to go wherever God called him to go as he saw fit. There was not a discussion of the risk versus the benefits of Isaiah serving God. There was not a discussion of where the mission field would be, and there was certainly no discussion of to who it would be to. No, God simply asked, Whom shall I send? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Which is a wonderful precursor to the coming of Jesus Christ and the fruition of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah wonderfully replied, Here I am, Lord. Send me. You want to know the other miraculous thing about this passage? We tend to focus in on the fact that Isaiah is standing there before God, but do you realize that he's the only one there at that time? Do you realize that he was one of the only willing servants in all of Israel to go for God? I wonder if he looked around at first. I don't know this. I just wonder. And realized he was alone. I know that he had no doubt that he needed to go for God. But I wonder if he experienced any sorrow in that moment that he realized he was the only one. I know later he did because of his prophecies. Looking for righteous in Jerusalem. Looking for the righteous among God's people. But that didn't bother him. When he was called, no matter the fact that he was standing all alone, even when it seemed like God was still, was, that God in that moment was in the minority, he realized that God was still the majority, that he was the one that still mattered above all others in the world. Despite the fact that there was going to be a changing of the guard of leadership, he knew that he needed to go. Despite the fact that he was standing alone, he knew that he needed to go. Despite the fact that he felt like at one time he was unqualified, he knew that he needed to go. And he said, Lord, here I am. Send me. Despite who I am, here I am, Lord, send me. Isaiah didn't have any details. He had no conditions. He just responded when God asked for help, and all because he was willing. You see, church, God has chosen to spread his gospel by way of those who have accepted him. There is no backup plan. There is no other choice in God's mind. Who better to spread His message than the ones who have accepted it? 
when the disciples were going out on their own for the very first time. You might remember this passage from a couple weeks ago. Jesus told them, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. And heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. Because we today are people who have been made disciples by those who are made disciples by those who are made disciples who on back to those who are made by original disciples. We too stand in the fruition of this passage as well as the call of this passage. We will see wonderful things as we proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near that we will see the healing of the sick, the raising of the dead, the cleansing of those who have different diseases. You may think, I've never seen that before. Well, pray for some miracles and God will start to pour them out. Pray for somebody who's in need. You start praying and you'll start seeing God answering. Church, we can see these wonderful things. We must go and do these things because of one primary reason. Freely you have received, so freely give. If you got a great coupon that was half off something at the store, or you got a great deal that if you present this at the front of the store, you'll get a free item, you'd be passing out to all your friends, wouldn't you? If you knew that there was a great sale going on, don't you? I mean, I do that from time to time. I go say, hey, you need to go check this out. You need to buy this or you need to buy that. I can't believe it's as cheap as it is. We start telling everybody when we start getting free stuff or when there's an opportunity to get something at a better cost. We do this in our lives. We pass things on that are good news to people. What about Jesus? He's the only person that's ever given anything freely. And it really was free. So freely we have received, so freely we must give. Church today, God still needs people like Isaiah who will be willing to repent that they might be used. People qualified not because of anything that they have done, as we see from Isaiah, for he was ruined, a man of unclean lips. God is still seeking people who are not qualified because of anything that they have done or any goodness that they can claim. No, what he wants and what he desires are people who are qualified by the fact that they realize what God has done for them and the freedom that we can only claim in Jesus Christ because it has been given to us. Nothing that we have done, but everything that God already has. You see, God doesn't call the equipped. He doesn't call those who are ready to go. No, God equips the called. If you feel like He's calling you, don't feel inadequate. Feel prepared. Because God is going to prepare you. Sure, we're not worthy of God. We're not worth it. But don't feel inadequate because God's placing His wonderful Spirit down inside of you. Go in His name on His behalf. And no matter what you or I have done, and no matter what we've still yet to do, God is calling us to repent. To become clean in His presence that He might qualify us to bear His message. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your wonderful love, your grace, and your mercy given through Jesus. Poured out in love and brought to fruition on that cross. But Lord, thank you that you didn't just cleanse our sins 
but through Jesus' resurrection that you gave us eternal life through him. Oh, thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us through Christ. Lord, we are so blessed. Oh, Lord, we are so blessed because of what you have done that you didn't have to do. You didn't have to send Jesus, and Jesus didn't have to die. But he chose to anyway because he knew that we needed him. Because you wanted us to fellowship with you around your great, your great white throne forever. Thank you, Lord, that, that you have given us that opportunity. And so freely we have accepted it, so freely we shall give. Lord, I want to ask that you touch and bless and move upon anybody who has not accepted your sacrifice yet, Lord. That have not accepted your, your free gift of grace to any who call upon your name. Seek repentance, Lord, that you would pour that out today. That you would move on our hearts and minds to accept you if there is one who has not yet. But Lord, I also ask that for those who may be stuck, who are not quite going for you yet in their life, though they have accepted your offer of grace, that you might convict move in their heart and mind and in ours and mine in such a way to remind us that our life is not ours. It's yours, for it was bought with a price, the price of your blood, of your son Jesus that was poured out for us. Lord, help us to never forget that, to always remember it, and to never let the call be diminished in our lives that here I am, Lord, send me. Someone's needing, Lord. Send me. Father, move in our hearts and lives today as we give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.